Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. So as you turn there, I read a story about a husband and a wife. Their names were Jake and Martha. They were an older senior adult couple, and every year they'd go to the state fair And Jake would see this antique biplane, and he's like, wanted to ride so much in it. But Martha would say, Jake, it's $10. And $10 is $10. Sorry, we can't ride it. So year after year, Martha would say the same thing. Jake, I know you want to ride in it, but it's $10. $10 is $10. Finally, Jake turned 81 years old. 81 years young, for those of you who were 80 plus. And uh, he's like, Martha, if I don't ride it now, I may never get to ride it. So the airplane pilot said, listen, I see the dilemma you guys are in. I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to let you guys ride, and if you guys do not say a single word, it'll be free of charge on the house. But if you utter one word, one word at all, you owe me $10. Jake looked at Martha. She shook her head. All right, it's a deal. So they got in the plane. Jake's dreams finally come true. They're riding this antique biplane. So they go up. And the airplane pilot does something he normally doesn't do. He started spiraling and spinning and dipping and diving. But to their credit, they said no word at all. So after they finally landed the plane, the pilot looks at Jake and says, I can't believe you didn't say a word. And Jake said, well, after Martha fell out of the plane on the first spin and she had to use a parachute, I was about to say something, but $10 is $10. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about the topic of generosity and one of the things about generosity is uh, some of the church members have kind of shared that they're like, Timothy, why do you never speak on giving? And, uh, you know, a lot of pastors get criticized for talking about too much. You've never talked about a single bit. And my response is because we go through the books of the Bible, unless it's in the topic, I don't bring it up. But giving is an important topic. And it's interesting in my research of this topic, some pastors apologize, like, I hate to talk about this, but... And I'm like, why would you apologize for something so incredible as generosity? Why would you apologize for anything that's in God's word, right? It's kind of like me if I, uh, well, actually I have my personal trainer in the front row, Andrew here. Uh, he's trying to help me lose the COVID-20. And uh, he's like, you need to get on the treadmill. If I said, well, I don't want to hear about it, it wouldn't help me lose the COVID-20, would it? So I've been on the treadmill, by the way, last night. So, all right. For those of you who weren't here, I, I confess I put on the COVID-20 trying to lose it. So uh, I haven't weighed in yet, but I'll let you guys know, working on it. So th- this is a, a message that has the power to change your life. And these are principles from God's word. But I, I have to say that I was seen modeled from my parents and my grandparents and people. So I'm basically without excuse. These principles that I'm telling you today, I've seen modeled and it's been a part of my life um, since I've been a believer. So we're going to look at a passage and then break it down. And today we're talking about the generosity of the kingdom. We've found out that we're part of this kingdom of God, which is eternal. And part of that kingdom, there's a culture. And we've talked about the mission of the kingdom, which is the Great Commission. And today we're going to talk about how generous the kingdom is. Look at verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
So let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything with all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. While you are enriched, okay, next verse, verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies for the needs of the saints, but also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let us pray. Father, what a powerful passage. We ask and pray that we would take the truth of this and that you would use it to transform us, that we would realize that we are just stewards and you are the owner of all, and that we would give in such a way of our time, of our talent, of our treasures, of everything that we are in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this message, as I said, I'm excited to bring about it um, because it has the potential to change your life. And I want to have a few opening remarks that God doesn't need anything from you. How many of you realize God doesn't need anything? But he wants something for you. So when it comes to generosity, and this is not just a financial message, but it's your time, it's your talents, it's your personality, everything that God's gifted you with, God wants you to reinvest in his kingdom purposes. He doesn't need it, but he wants to partner with you. And giving actually benefits you more than the recipient. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I would encourage you to do a Google search, even secular psychology, the benefits of giving. That so many people that give, they're less likely to enter into a sane asylum, right? Uh, Generosity keeps you healthy. It does so many things on just not even a biblical standpoint, but just from a psychology standpoint. Generosity has the ability to change your life. So I'm excited about this message because it's changed my life and it's changed many of your lives. And for those of you who have never researched or studied biblical generosity, it's exciting. So I want to start with just kind of a personal story to kind of set this framework that I never want to teach you anything that I'm not at least trying to do myself because that would make me a hypocrite, right? If I'm telling you to do something and I'm not willing to try it. Uh, Ten years ago, my wife and I came to the end of an agreement. It was a two-year plan. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I used to be a church planner, which means you're poor, which means you have no money and you're living off a dream, living on a prayer, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, anyways, my wife, uh, she had a really good job. She worked for a CPA firm and I was a church planner, didn't have a lot of money. So she she, she had faith in me, okay? So she said, listen, I'm going to give you two years to get your act in order. And once we start having babies, I want to have the freedom not to work. Are you, are you up for that? And I'm like, I'm the faith guy. Sure. And uh, I still remember going to a restaurant. It was funny. I, I paid for it. And uh, the, guy, the owner's like, good job. No, no money, no honey. In other words, it's good you're paying for a meal. What he didn't know is it was all her money. One account. We're married now, okay? 
So, uh, so anyways, fast forward two years, uh, Lori gets pregnant with Kira, who turns 10 this December, and uh, she's like, are you, are you, we're like, we're talking, are you ready for your commitment? And I was like, definitely, let's do it. Keep in mind, I'm the faith guy. Let's just jump off the bridge, God will catch us, that's, that's me. Um, it's your crazy pastor, crazy faith. So, anyways, uh, she had, the, had Kira, and she went to talk to her CPA, and keep in mind, this guy does her taxes. He knows what we make. And he's like, you're coming back to work, right? And she said, no. And he didn't say this, but in his intelligent CPA brain, I know he was thinking there's no way you could survive off Timothy's salary. At the time, I think I was making maybe 30000 There's no way you can do a whole family with a child on 30000 a year. But guess what? We did it. <laughs> and God provided. And every time we took a step of faith. So I say that to say this, that it doesn't matter where you're at in your life, whether you're like where we at, we're at really struggling financially and you know, living on a dream and maybe some ramen noodle on the side. Just kidding. I don't like ramen noodle. But, you know, you, you are where you're at. Or you're on the very prosperous side that you have so much money you don't know what to do with. Whatever side you're on, these principles are transferable to you. So let, let's jump into it. There's three principles on the generosity of the kingdom. The first one is this. Christians should give generously. Christians should give generously. Look at verse 6 again. I say, he who so sparingly will also reap, what? Sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you've been in church any length of time, there's a debate that comes up, and the debate goes like this. Should Christians tithe? Isn't that Old Testament mosaic law? Anybody ever heard the debate or been in the debate? All right. When I I grew up, that was a heated debate. (laughs) Okay, it was heated. And uh, the funny thing is the ones who didn't tithe are the ones who didn't want to tithe. That's that's really how the debate went. So... (laughs) So, you know, it's one of those questions. So I'm going to answer that, okay, for you guys at the end of the message. So you have to stay tuned. I'm going to answer whether Christians should tithe or not. You're like, okay, don't say it, Timothy. I'm just going to say what the Bible says. So first of all, we've got to say what is generously. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who sows generously reaps generously. So it brings up the question, under grace, is the standard lower or higher under grace? What do you guys think? Higher, that's right, Jim. Let me give you five examples from Jesus, okay? Old Testament said don't murder. New Testament under grace says what? Don't even hate somebody without a cause, all right? That's pretty higher, all right? Old Testament, don't commit adultery. All right, I can, I can stay away from that. New Testament says what? Don't even lust. Wow, that's so much higher, okay? Old Testament, Moses permitted divorce. It was never God's perfect plan. New Testament says don't put away your spouse unless they're committing adultery on you. All right, so that's a much higher standard. Old Testament, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And I can't speak for the women, but some of the guys like that. Let's go Old Testament law. You punch me, I'm going to punch you back harder, right? New Testament, what does Jesus say? If someone hits you or slaps you, what do you do? Wow, some of us men want to live on Old Testament law with that, that principle, right? But that's, that's grace, all right? Old Testament says love your neighbor and hate your enemies. What did Jesus say about your enemies? Pray for them. Do good to them. So you see, in every example that you could think of, the, the law is laid out, but the standards always raised under grace. And you're like, why is that? Well, it's very simple. Old Testament law was written on tablets of stone. And there's only so much you could write on stones, right? So much you could scribble on a stone. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, it's written on your heart. And that's unlimited, what God can put in your heart, put in your spirit. And it's application of God's word. So 
here's the thing when it, when it comes to giving and we're going to answer at the end, at the very end i want you to think about it like this that the law was a good guideline and a good standard think about back to the airplane analogy there there's a there's a driving runway many of you have flown and I know we've got some pilot in, pilot in the room. But when you go down the runway, you move forward so you can take off. The Old Testament law was like the runway. You were moving forward. The law taught us that we needed a Savior, right? It told us that we needed Jesus. But grace is the thrust that helps you fly. And some of you are still living on the runway because you've never allowed grace to take you to new heights. What you thought was impossible is now possible through Jesus Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So let's go back to the Old Testament. What was the giving standard of the Old Testament Mosaic Law? Someone tell me. Someone said it. 10%. 10% is a tithe, one-tenth. Now, if you do a little research, and I encourage you to do Google search, if you add all the other offerings they did in the Old Testament, it ended up being about 23% of your income. So that's pretty high, right? So you're like, wow, that's... That's unbelievable to think about. So before we answer what the New Testament says, I want you to think about some practical reasons why we should be generous. We know that that's in Scripture. The first one is you reap what you sow. Notice that he says if you sow like very little, you're going to reap what? Very little. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. So here's the thing. I've heard through my life, and I've, I've been in ministry for almost 24, 25 years now, I've heard people say, well, Timothy, I would love to give or I'd love to tithe, but I just can't afford to do so. Anybody ever heard that? And what I want to do is reverse engineer it. Why can't you afford to do so? Is it because you've never given generously? Now think about it. How come poor people give generously and they still have leftover? That's mysterious. And it's the principle that you can never outgive God. God will never be indebted to you. When the scripture says when you sow generously, you reap generously, God's not going to lie. He will provide. He will come through. So look at verse 8. It says God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So why? That you can continue in every good work. So here's the idea. Here's where the prosperity gospel gets it wrong. I'm going to give you the prosperity gospel and I'm going to tell you what the poverty gospel is. Prosperity gospel is you give so that you can get more, so that you can keep more, right? That's prosperity gospel. This passage, what Paul says, you give so that you can have more to give, right? It's not just simply to increase your standard of living, like I can have a nicer house, a nicer car. It's to increase your standard of giving. That whenever you sow something, it multiplies. And that's where the prosperity gospel, the poverty gospel, where some of us Southern Baptists have been around that, you know, you're really not allowed to have nice stuff because what about the poor people in another country? And when you read the Bible, you never see God looking down on generous people that have stuff. I mean, you look at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were very generous, but they had a lot of things. So it's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. It's called being a steward. So here's the thing. Never judge somebody by what they have, what, what car they drive, what house they have. You see what they have, but you don't see what they give. Amen. You just don't know what they give. Uh, there's some people in the world that, you know, I'll, I'll use an example. Many of you know Rick Warren. You know, most of you don't know his story, but when he, whenever he wrote Purpose Driven Life, he did so well. He lives off 9% of his income. Now he gives away 91%. 
And, and the 9% is pretty good. Let's just say that. He's still doing pretty well. So, like, we can judge him for having, like, wow, but he gives away 91%. So it's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. So God wants us to realize we reap what we sow. Second principle of generosity, Jesus taught generous giving throughout his ministry. Um, when he talked to the rich young ruler, what did he tell him to do? Sell everything. You're like, I thought he's only supposed to give 10%. Why did he say sell everything? Well, he knew the rich young ruler was serving another God, God called Mammon. And Jesus wanted to test him. Now, if the guy was like, sure, you know, we don't know what Jesus' response would be. Like, hey, I was just testing you, you know, let, let, let's follow me. But he was testing him to see what his God was, right? And then you have the example of the widow and she gave... Her sacrificial offering, which was what? Very little, right? Very little. So a lot of times you use examples of giving as very wealthy people. But Jesus looked at the the widow. They didn't have very much. And Jesus said she has given more sacrificially than they all. And they're like, how's that? You see the rich people giving tens of thousands of dollars. And she's given a penny or two, right? So what's the deal with this? And what Jesus wants us to realize is he not only sees what you give. He sees what you have left over. All right. So this woman had given all she had. So never forget the widow's might. Never forget. God sees the sacrifice. So the other principle is that for the New Testament Christian, you are not an owner, but you're a steward. So here's the funny thing. And I get to be on a soapbox today. And I, I say this with a smile and out of love. But I've heard so many people say, man, all the church talks about is giving money. How many of you have ever heard that before? You've never said it, but you've heard it, right? Let me ask you a question. If, if you don't own everything you have, can you get upset by someone talking about something that's not yours? The ones that get upset, maybe, maybe you've heard abuse of it, and that's wrong. But if someone's just telling you what the Bible says, I shouldn't get upset because I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. So let me give you a story with my kids. <laughs> this is hard, and this has happened several times, so I can't think of... Just one isolated. This, this happens a few times. So out of my four kids that currently talk, we, we take them to like a restaurant. Let's say Wendy's. We're sitting down and we're at Wendy's. My daughter, Noelle, loves the chili. The boys love hamburgers. And we always get the fries. How many of you like the Wendy's fries? Hot, juicy fries. Oh, I can't eat those anymore. I'm not supposed to, but I still do. OK, so the fries. So I will ask like one of the kids. I'm not going to name them, but hey, can I have one of your fries? And they'll hesitate to give me a fry or say, that's mine. And I'm like, listen, do you not realize I bought these fries? Do you not realize I could buy all the fries in this restaurant? And you're not going to give me one measly fry? How many of us are that way with God? Like, literally, Old Testament, let's look at Old Testament law. You're to offer up a sacrifice, right? The priest would offer a sacrifice. New Testament says you're to offer yourself as a living sacrifice so god wants all of you wow it's no longer the animal sacrifice he wants me so when god asks us to be generous in our time or our talent or treasures we can't be like my little kid like that's my fry guess who gave it to you all right i gave it to you so if you sow generously you will also reap what generously so let me give you an analogy let's say warren buffett is in town and isn't Warren Buffett trying to give away a lot of his money from what I've heard? I've never been the recipient of it, but he's got a lot of money, right? 
And uh, Bill Gates used to be involved. I'm not sure what's going on with the Gates these days. But let's say Warren Buffett's in town. And he comes to me and says, I want to pick one person from Arden First to bless. I just want to, you know, you guys, I hear good things about your church and the community. Um, so I want to bless. Who, who of you would like to be a part of this, by the way? Anybody? He's going to bless you. So the, 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 the goal is he's going to fly you to his estate. And you've got two minutes to go into the generosity room. And there's money flying, you know, the, the machine that blows the money and you're grabbing. You have to do it blindfolded. But the catch is you have to bring your own bucket. You have to bring your own container. Let me ask you a question. What kind of container would you bring to the room? You would get the biggest container you could find. You have to get someone to help you drag it out. Now, when it comes to generosity, notice what God's word says. If you are stingy in your giving, whether it's your time, your talent, your treasure, you're going to reap back what you sowed. But if you're generous, guess what? It's, it's a bigger container. It's a bigger container. So I don't know about you, but man, I'm going to lay everything I've got on the altar and say, God, you have all of me. Whatever it is, I may be like the little boy. I only have five loaves, two fish. I may not be that bright. I may not be that smart, but God, I'm willing. I'm going to lay myself on the altar. Let's see what you will do with it. Do you know this is the only really thing I can think of where God says to test a man is giving. All through scripture, God says, do not test me. But there's one area he says to test them, and that's what? In the area of giving. So here's the thing. This is not a give so you can get and get rich quick. That's prosperity gospel. That's not what the Bible's teaching. This is teaching give because you trust God. You will never outgive God. I guarantee God's going to always be more generous than you. He's always going to be more generous to, than you, and he will never be in your debt. So when the Bible says test God in your giving... When the Bible says if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously, God's going to fulfill his word. But it's not so that I can increase my standard of living so much. It's so that I can increase my standard of giving. Amen? All right. It's quiet in church today, but hey, this is, this is the word of God. All right, number two. We're to give generously and we're to give purposefully. Look at verse seven. Let each one gives as he what? Purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. So notice purpose. This is the idea when I'm talking about New Testament giving. How should you give? Purpose means you've got to really think about it. It means that you're to get in your prayer closet and pray about it. So a lot of times we just want to write a check what's 10% and go with it. But when's the last time you've prayed about your giving? When's the last time you really had a conversation if you're married with your spouse and just said, God, what do you want? Notice it says in his heart. So it doesn't come from outward pressure. It comes from inside you. It comes from the Holy Spirit guiding you. So if you've ever been challenged, and I'm not going to mention organizations, but how many of you have ever gotten a phone call? It's a high pressure. We need you to support this organization. Well, let me think about, well, no, we need to answer now, ma'am. You ever had that phone call? Is that biblical to give under pressure? So here's the thing. If you've ever been pressured to give, biblically, God says, I'm the owner, you're the steward, so you... If this is an opportunity, why don't you ask me if it's my will, right? Don't just give because you feel pressured because I may not be leading you to give, right? So don't never give under pressure or reluctance. So notice it's in his heart. So here's the thing I want to challenge you. How many of you have a bucket list, like things you want to do before you kick the bucket, right? Anybody? Come on, more than you have that. Okay. Well, let me think about this. There's nothing, I think it's good to have that. 
and that's geared about your life. What about if you had a generosity bucket list? Things I want to do generously before I kick the bucket. Because the bucket list applies to, you know, your life and that's good. But what about what's going to live beyond your life? What about a generosity bucket list? So let me give you some of mine. These are my dreams. Um, Wouldn't it be nice to be able to give a car away to someone in need? Just be able to write a check, give a car and say it's yours. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, wouldn't you like to be able to be that generous? Um, And this is a story, true story. Most of you have heard this, but I was inspired by this. We had a person in the church that wasn't even a member that they're like, what do you need for this church to grow? And I was like, you really want me to tell you? (laughs) I'll tell you, okay. And uh, basically this person gave most of Joe Perry's salary for two years. One person. Here you go. And I'm like, hallelujah. You know, it's like, so here's my generosity bucket list. And don't ask me how I'm going to do it. I don't know. But one day, before I die, I would like to be able to give enough money to pay someone's full-time salary in the ministry. I mean, I think we should start dreaming that way. I was talking to Lori recently. A lot of us know people that have died during COVID, and it's really, really sad. Uh, the mortality of life. As you guys know, my father-in-law died not because of COVID, but during the season. So Lori and I are going to be working on our last will and testament. Generally, you do that when you're much older, but I think it's good to start when you're young. So one of the things we've talked about is we're going to tell our kids, we're going to try to leave as much as we can, whatever we come up with in our life to you, But before we give anything to you, we're going to give a certain percentage to the church. And here's the reason why. I don't know what you're going to do with the money. I don't know whether you're going to give to the church. But my last will and testament, the first percentage, whatever we put in there, is going to go to the church. So guess what? After we die, the kingdom work is going to continue on. True story, this happened locally. There was a church in our area that basically was hit really hard with COVID. But before COVID hit, someone did that very thing. And guess what? The church is still making it but had it not been for that one person the church would have closed down that that's the that's the kingdom generosity so here's your homework think about your own generous before you kick the bucket list what do you want to do investing in eternity before god takes you there so we're to give generously we're to give what was the second point purposefully say it at home i can't hear you all right and finally christians are to give cheerfully what does the next verse says for god loves a Cheerful giver. So here's here's encouragement to you. If you've been that person that says all the church wants is my money, please stop giving. Because if you can't give cheerfully, God doesn't see that as an act of worship. So you can keep your money. God doesn't need your money, neither do we. Because here's the reason why God's the source. But He taps on people to become the resource. I'll, I'm setting you free. If, if you give grudgingly, please stop. And it's not just finances. If you're in any ministry and you complain or gripe, God would rather you not do that. Because God loves a what kind of giver? Whoo! You're like, man. There are certain things you have to do whether you feel like it or not. But when it comes to giving, God wants you to do it cheerfully. So that's, that's a challenge when you look at it. It's really a challenge. So how many of you have ever given, been given something and someone talks about how much they spent on the gift? Can I be honest? Men sometimes are bad at that. I can't speak for the ladies, but... Wives, how many of your husbands, don't raise your hand, but how many of your husbands told you how much they spent on the gift? <laughs> and it's like when you give cheerfully, it's like there's no strings attached. It's this is because I really care about you. And it's hard sometimes. So let's let's talk about some scenarios in the church. Imagine if we have a missionary that comes by and they're, they're going to go to Tanzania and they're taking the love offering here at the church. 
and your spouse really wants to give, feels led by the Lord, but you, the money extra you, you have for that nice gas grill, what do you do? It's hard, right? Um, let's say you're on the hospitality team. The funny thing is, before I give this illustration, this actually happened today. Um, you run out of coffee. And do you brew the extra pot or how, how do you brew it? Do you brew it cheerfully or, you know, or you're the preacher and you go 30 minutes too long and you, you hear that you're long winded that week. Do you still preach cheerfully the next week? What, what about if you're on the receiving and you, you were the child care worker that when the preacher went 30 minutes over? I, I'm like when you think about it. When it says God loves a cheerful giver, it's not just talking about money. Please don't think it's talking about money. It's talking about any ministry. What would happen in the church if all of us served out of joy and we never grumbled or complained about serving again? <laughs> you think it would be a different church? You think it would be a different world? It's like the difference between going to Chick-fil-A and you're like, thank you so much. And they say, my pleasure. I would mention another restaurant, but I may get sued. But you go to another fast food chain and they're like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you in my line? I'm like, don't you get paid for this? There's no eye contact for a minute. And it's like, it's that death, death stare. And it's like, all right, I'm going to Chick-fil-A next time. Sorry. <laughs> all right, so let's look at the benefits of this. We know that we're to give generously, cheerfully, purposefully. But what are the benefits? You know, believe it or not, God does show you the benefits. I love how God gives us the why behind the what. If you do this, here's what I'm going to do. All right, first promise. As I excel in the grace of giving, I will begin to experience abundant provision. Look back at verse 8. God is able to make what? All grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So here's the beautiful thing about that. As I give generously, God's promise is I want to make all grace abound towards you. So here's the thing. You have experienced grace if you're a Christian, but have you experienced all grace abounding towards you? That some of that grace can only be experienced when we release everything to God and say, God, I'm yours. Give me this grace that's unmerited, undeserved. I don't deserve it. And he gives it to you anyways. And the reason why you don't deserve it is everything you give back to God was his anyways. Right. So you're not really doing anything. It's just being receptive. Promise number two, as I excel in the grace of giving, I will eventually reap a harvest of righteousness. Notice in verse nine, it talks about. He has dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So I want to ask you, what are you doing in your giving of your time, of your resources, of your finances, of your talent, in a way that will endure forever? Let me tell you a true story. This still rocks me to my core to this day. And as I said, I'm without excuse because I've seen example upon example upon example. My grandmother, she lived to be in her mid-80s. And on her deathbed, we were singing hymns, and she was you know, talking, and she was giving instructions on her funeral. And by the way, she never talked about death. She, she was superstitious. She avoided funeral homes. She's like, I'm next, you know, that mindset. But on the day of her death, she asked my mom, she's like, I want to write my last tithe check. This is when she's like breathing her last breath. And then she died shortly thereafter. And in that, to me, that still sticks to me this day. She knew something that I didn't know at the time. That when you give to God's kingdom, it will live after you're gone. And it's not only money, but think about your time. Okay, how many of you are busy? We're all busy, right? And the thing is, is you do time, and I'll use myself as an example. You know, I watch the Dallas Cowboys football game. Any Dallas fans in there? Go Cowboys. All right, none. Okay. 
Panther fans? All right, I got one, okay. And here's the thing. I enjoy it. It's fun. But what do I have to show for after it's gone? Really nothing. Maybe a conversation on Monday. But whenever you invest your time in kingdom matters, that's eternal. I mean, think about it. When you serve that nursery, when you lead that small group, you're not wasting time. You're investing time. So you not only invest money, but you invest time and you invest your talent. And when you invest in the two things that last forever, which is the word of God and the souls of people, it's never time wasted. It's never money wasted because it's eternal. Amen. So as I excel in this grace, I will reap a harvest of righteousness. And notice verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the what? Sower and bread to the eater. I've got some, uh, some I'm not going to throw this at you today, okay? Some of you asked me first service, you're going to throw seed out. And I've already done that. I have to wait at least six months for it to be relevant again. For those of you who don't know, I just threw seed out in the audience a few weeks ago. So, okay, when a farmer sows, it's seed to the sower and it's bread for what? The eater, right? So here's the thing. Whenever you're a farmer and you get seed, you have two choices. Whenever I sow seed, that's equivalent of giving. And whenever I eat my bread, that's living. So there's two purposes for your resources, giving and living. Giving is sowing the seed. Living is eating the bread. Let me ask you, do we need both? We do need both. So here's the problem. Let me get some water before I get choked up here. Here's the problem. Man, this bread is dry. All right. It wasn't mama's homemade bread. All right. So here's the problem. Many of us know that God has given us time, talents, treasures to invest in his kingdom. But instead of sowing the seed, we begin to eat the seed. You know, I know the church needs some money, but, hmm. You know, I know there's missionaries that need help, but and the problem, when you begin to eat seed, it benefits you, but guess what? It doesn't multiply. Here's a, here's a give, you want to hear a giving principle that will change your life? When you retain something, it enhances you, but only when you give something is it multiplied. I'll say that again. When you eat your bread, it benefits you and your family, but only when you sow your seed does it multiply. Think about the five loaves and two fish. The little boy, if he ate it, it would have been good for him, but only when he put it in the hand of Jesus did it multiply. So that's the benefit of giving. And as I said, you give not so you just get back. It's so that God can increase how much seed you can sow. So, you know, my goal, I want to be generous now, but in 10 years from now, I want to be more generous When I'm 60, I want to be more generous. When I'm 80, I want to be more generous. Uh, There was a guy that was from Florida. Any Florida people here? Say hello. Um, When I was a church planner, he visited. And he did something quite amazing. He began to write large checks to the church. And, you know, for us, the offering was like $400 a week. And it's like, my goodness, this guy's paying the rent. Hallelujah. So I met with him down in Florida one day. And I was like, how are you so generous? You know, tell me about it. And he gave me this story. He said he got saved later in life. It was a second marriage. And he said his wife said, you know, now that you're a believer, you're going to have to start giving. You're going to start tithing. And he's like, at the time he was a millionaire. He's like, you know how much money that is? She said, well, that's just what the Bible, you've got to start giving. So he started giving. Long story short, 
he became so prosperous he retired early. And that year, I don't know if he does this every year, but that year he said, Timothy, I've been so prosperous in my, in my investments that I've given away 100% of all my income. And see, I'm a little church planner, you know, living on a small salary. I didn't understand what he was talking about. But what he was saying is he had so much source in the bank, so much resource, he could give away 100% and not affect him. And I'm like, that is crazy. Like, that's mind-boggling. So he taught me a lesson. You can never outgive God. Just got to trust him. So, yes, eat your bread, but remember that only what you sow will be multiplied. In 1 Timothy, look at your listening guide, 6, 17, and 18. And by the way, when this talks about the rich, that, that's all of us in America. I mean, all of us are considered rich by the worldly standpoint. Paul told Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Promise number three, as I excel in this grace of giving, I will become a catalyst for thanksgiving. So in verses 11 through 15, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and the backdrop is they're taking up a love offering for the struggling Christians in Jerusalem. And you're like, why are they struggling? Well, they were struggling because many of them had temple jobs. And as soon as they decided to follow Jesus, guess what? They lost their job. So many of them were jobless. Second reason, there was a famine in Jerusalem. So 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about giving. And one of the outcomes was to help the struggling church in Jerusalem. So when Paul is telling them this, he said, listen, whenever you give... Your giving leads to thanksgiving. I want you to write that down in your listening guide. Giving leads to thanksgiving. Whenever you give to others in need, guess what it produces in their lives? Thanksgiving. Let's say it together. Giving leads to thanksgiving. So it brings us to the original question. You're like, Timothy, you still have not answered how much a New Testament believer should give, right? Have I answered it yet? I haven't, right? So here's the thing. How does the New Testament give? Well, in the Old Testament, they gave 10%, up to 23%. The New Testament, you know how much Jesus wants us to give? 100%. And you're like, does that mean I have to give all my resources away? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that he wants you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, then get in your prayer closet. And as you pray to God, and you ask God, how can I be generous how can I be cheerful? How can I be purposeful? The Holy Spirit will show you. But there's one catch to think about. Because we are under grace and not under Mosaic law, are things lower under the law or higher under the law? The standard's always higher. Like you read the book of Acts, they sold houses and lands and gave them away. So here's the thing, like, just because we're under grace doesn't mean that we're, we're to give less. Under grace means that we're no longer limited by a percentage, which to me is very freeing. I don't want to be limited by 10%. I want to I see how God can make me more generous. So here's a principle I want you guys just to think through. God wants us to be generous, right? And you really can't put a percentage on that. But if you can't be generous, at least tithe. And if you can't tithe, give yourself. I'll say that again. God wants us to be generous. And if you can't be generous, the tithe is a good starting point. That's the training wheels. 
And if you can't tithe, then start with yourself. Because here's what I know. As soon as you give yourself to God, everything will flow out of that. Aren't you glad we're no longer limited by a percentage? But God says give generously. Give cheerfully as you purpose in your heart. Amen. And I want to close with a final illustration. And this is something that really touched me. And... Um, it comes from Pastor Colin Smith. I wish I'd have thought of this, but I didn't, so I want to give him credit, give credit to where credit's due. Pastor Colin Smith said, do you know what the first reference to the Messiah in the, in the Bible is? Anybody know? It's Genesis 3.15. It refers to Jesus as the seed. Jesus as the seed. What does Paul refer to giving as? Seed. Now, I want you to think about it. Throughout the Bible, the narrative is about the seed, not the seeds, but seed as to Christ. He is the promised seed. Imagine if Jesus would have lived his life and he never gave it away. He would have been the perfect man, and he was. He would have lived the best example, and he did, but that would have been the extent of it. But because Jesus gave himself, Jesus said, unless a kernel falls into the ground, it remains alone. But if it dies, guess what? There's a harvest. So Jesus is the perfect seed. He's the Messiah. He gave his life for us. And guess what? Because he gave, because he gave generously, cheerfully, purposefully, guess what happened? We're here today, right? What would happen if because we've received the greatest gift of all, what would happen if we lived lives of gratitude? What would happen if we no longer saw ourselves as owners but stewards? Do you think the world would be a different place? Um, Scott Whitley, who attends the first service, uh, he was sharing, he leads a C12 group for Christian businessmen. And he was sharing with me the 2080 principle. Some of you have heard this, that this is business, but it's also true in churches. But he said 20% of the people do what? 80% of everything. And we were talking and the thought came up, what if we changed the narrative? What if it became 80% of people did the, the living and the serving and the giving? What would happen? How would this church be a different place? I can tell you this, I think it's heading that way because God is leading us to be generous Christians. So look at, look at your take-home truth. Generosity fuels the mission. Generosity fuels the mission. There is no such thing as a stingy saint. <laughs> so a few action steps. How do we apply this? I know it had been easy to give a percentage rate. Here's what God wants you to do. But you know what? I don't limit grace. I believe that God's going to inspire you to do more under grace. So look at the three action steps in your listening guide. And online, stay with us. We've got a few more minutes. First one is be generous in your giving. What would happen if you did something surprising to someone this week? Maybe your neighbor. Maybe it's someone, a coworker that you just said, hey, I want to bless you with lunch today. What if you did that at the drive-thru at the restaurant or Starbucks that you paid for the person's um, coffee or meal in front of you? And maybe you left an Arden invite card. I mean, who knows? There's so many applications of that. The second one is be purposeful in your giving. What are some needs in this church? How can you devote your time to that? How can you serve in that ministry? How could you give towards that? So this, this happened not by coincidence, but by providence. We have some newer people in the church. They remain anonymous. And uh, they came to me recently and said, we want to do something generous for the church. And keep in mind, I'm not going to tell you much about them because it's all anonymous, but they're not wealthy, and they're on the younger side, okay? Let's just say under 40. So a lot of times when you think of generous givers, you think of senior adults, and you guys are very generous.
but they're on the younger side. And they've had some good business investments. And they said, Timothy, we realize the church with COVID, it's been hit. You know, all churches have been, been affected. For us, the first four months of the year were hard, COVID transitions. And as a budget, we were about $40,000 under budget. So these two families said, we're going we're gonna to allow the church, we're going to challenge the church as a matching gift. This is not your tithe money. This is offering. But you have until the end of the month of November after Thanksgiving to match. They're going to match up to $20,000, dollar for dollar. Isn't that amazing? I think you should give God a hand for that. It's unbelievable. So, so if our church steps up, then we're going to end the year in the black instead of in the red. And that's pretty spectacular with COVID, right? So that, that's just one example. And I didn't plan it. It just happened literally this week. They came to me and I'm like, guess what? Guess what I'm teaching on Sunday? Something the church says I haven't taught for five and a half years about giving. And finally, be cheerful in your giving. So here's the thing. If you can't be cheerful, maybe it's time for a break. Maybe you're burned out. And those are legitimate needs. At Arden, we're trying to create a new culture where you commit to serve something for a year. And every year, we come to you and say, do you want to re-up or do you need a break? So I want to encourage you, if you're burned out, listen, we have a next man, next woman up policy. God's going to raise up someone else. Don't feel like you have the whole world on your shoulders. So if you can't do it cheerfully, what? Don't do it. Allow yourself time to recharge and replenish. You probably never heard a pastor say, don't give if you can't do it cheerfully, right? But I'm saying it. All right, so here's, here's the conclusion of it all, is that God has been generous towards us. So let us be generous towards one another. Let us pray. Father, your word is very faithful to us. Your word teaches us and instructs us. And God, my prayer is that from now on, our giving would be generously it would be cheerfully. It would be with purpose. And God, if we can't write that check for the church out of a generous heart, help us not to do it until our heart changes. If we can't serve this um, ministry, whatever it may be, cheerfully, help us to take a break. Because God, you love a cheerful giver, not a reluctant one. You love us despite it, but the, the act is not an act of worship. You, you love when it's done from the right heart. So with no one looking around, just let your seat be your sanctuary. Some of you may be like I, I was as I prayed through this and I'm praying through this, that I've not always done things cheerfully. I've not always served cheerfully. Sometimes there was grumbling. Sometimes there was whatever. And if that's you, just confess that to God. Just say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I now realize you not only see the action, you see the motive and the heart behind it. Please forgive us, God. As you continue to pray, there may be one here today You've never received the greatest gift, and that's the gift of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he loved you so much that he gave his life for you. He was the seed that went into the ground. He was the one that died on the cross and rose again so that you could have life. And friend, if you're here today, you're watching online, and you've never received the greatest gift, right where you're at, I just want you to pray, calling out a prayer of faith. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved that's you, I want you to say something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I do believe the gospel. I do believe that you came for me and you died for me and you rose for me. And I do believe that you offer me forgiveness for my sins. So Jesus, I invite you to forgive me of all my sins. Please make me clean, make me holy. And Jesus, I pray that you would step into my life, change my life. I choose to follow you. 
Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And thank you for all you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.